Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As we think about this morning and looking at God's plan, sometimes we want God to work a certain way. If you're anything like myself, I like to be organized and plan certain things out. Well, sometimes God, it seems like, obstructs our plan. We have everything all ready and organized, but then plans change. Life changes. And God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts greater than our thoughts. God doesn't work in the ways which mankind works. And uh, it's important for us to understand that. God does not always work in ways that we think he should. Humanly speaking, we may have an idea or plan that we think would benefit our situation, but ultimately God is in control and he chooses events in our lives that will best permit him to be glorified. And that's what we're going to look at this morning because 2 Kings records the history of Israel when the people had rejected the one true God. And they were following other gods, polytheism. And they were worshiping in the high places. This was a time during which the nation of Israel was divided into the north, Samaria, and the south, Judah. And what was occurring there, they had rejected the one true God. And so God had allowed them to be attacked by the neighboring civilizations. And at that time, the Arameans were a group of independent tribes that were living in the area of Syria. And they were enemies to Israel and would come and invade the plunder. Although God had allowed harm to come to the nation, he never forgot them. And he was understanding that he had made a promise and would be faithful to the nation of Israel. So as we look at 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14, we're going to see four observations here. And the first observation we see is the fact that God knows our circumstances. Sometimes in life when people say, oh, God has no idea what is going on, or, you know, I feel like I'm alone. But whatever you're facing in life, we must understand that God knows our circumstances. Here in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a brave warrior, but he had a skin disease. Some of you may have uh, leprosy in your, in your Bibles, but in the st- study and scholars, it probably wasn't leprosy. And the reason, there's a couple reasons I believe that, but as we look at that, he was in that great position. And Naaman, he had been given favor before the king, but also Naaman was an, in an influential position, yet possessed a disease that affected people's view of him. And the use of the word leprosy, clinically known as Hansen's disease, uh, we're familiar with that, with uh, the numbing of the uh, deadening of the nerve endings. And... Leprosy was an infectious disease that caused the death of nerve endings and injuries never healed and led to the idea of limbs or digits falling off. It's kind of like we say, oh, at the leper at the hockey game, there's a face-off. Or, you know, the leper who left his foot, uh, he failed his driver's test because he left his foot on the gas. Sorry, understanding that kind of gross. But that's what we think of. And so probably Naaman was not in a, a military position because if you think about the disease, being in battle, and fought, 
and what would have occurred, and it would never would have healed. He would have never been able to direct and heal. So it probably was more of a pigment, a skin condition. Uh, there's uh, different ones that we see, and based upon the biblical and medical evidence and the corroboration of background scholars, the word should be probably translated a severe skin disease. And there's severe skin diseases of eczema or psoriasis that are viral and highly unattractive. When we were down in Lima, Peru, there was a woman who made this dish picarones and uh, there was a, a metal container of oil and there was a pigmented disease where sometimes it's like light skin white and different colors and it's like patches, but it didn't necessarily affect function. And so I believe that's what it probably was. And it was not always curable. But we know in the text militarily that Naaman was very successful. He was a high-ranking officer. But he was plagued with, mentally with this physical disorder. You know, some of you who um, in school or high school, or maybe you went, or if you go out in public, you know, and maybe you have a big zit. And it's like, oh, I don't want to go out because people see that. And uh, people have a concept. It looks like, you know, the planet Mars is on my nose. And you don't want to go out because of, of what other people think. And it affects your judgment. It affects the evaluation that people are always looking at you. And so understanding he was in this position, but yet he was a high-ranking, he was very successful, and probably plagued mentally by, by this. And it was unsightly, and he, and he could not change his own circumstances on his own back then. It wasn't like he could take medicine. And there's times, skin conditions now that you can't just heal it. It may for a temporary time, but to cure it. And it's a reminder to us that external success does not always equate to internal peace. There are many out there who are influential and uh, who hold prominent positions, but they're very empty. And wherever we're at in life, it's important for us to understand that God knows our circumstances. God knows what we're going through. And sometimes we assume that uh, this person, oh, they, they seem so successful and happy, but internally they have no peace. And one of the greatest benefits about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is that you have peace. And we talked about it last week, peace with God, to know that if anything were to happen to you, that you would be in heaven. That can only come from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The second thing we see here from the text is that God can use anyone for his glory. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just those who, who look very clean and those who have been in, in ministry or in service. But God can use anyone he chooses for his glory. In verse 2 through 5, it states, Aram had gone on many raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would go to the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. And then we see what takes place. He went and took with him. But also in verse 13, it says, But his servants approached him. So he arrives, remember, from the from we see from the narrative. He is there, he goes before the, the prophet's door, and Elisha doesn't even come out. He sends a messenger. And he says, Oh, go wash in the Jordan. And here, Naaman is expecting some spiritual experience. You know, oh, come out and call upon the God and, and look very uh, influential. So different from today's ministry. Sometimes it's all about, you know, the external. But here we see the humility of Elisha, but also the fact that God can use anyone. Because it's interesting. Because Naaman is ready to turn around and go home. 
But yet his servants approached him and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? To be cured, you must say this incantation. You must climb this mountain. You must go get this special herb. But yet, no. How much more should you do it when he tells you, wash and be clean? And so Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and according to the command of the man of God. God can use anyone for his glory. There are no limitations or requirements placed upon who God uses, which is interesting because as we look in the Bible, who God uses, he uses, he's used murderers, he's used liars, he's used cheaters. But God chose to use a slave girl and a servant to help someone trust in the one true God. This slave girl had been captured by the Arameans and taken captive to the land north of Israel. She spoke to her master's wife, who then spoke to Naaman. It is a bit surprising that he listened to her because she was only a slave girl. Kind of interesting that he would do that. But then he went to the king of Aram and then to take a gift to the king of Israel. And then later a servant tells Naaman that if a prophet had required him to do some difficult feat, he would have done it. He spoke and encouraged his master to do what was asked. And, and then we see prophet Elisha was the prophet that communicated God's truth to the people. He was the instrument of God. And it's interesting because when we come before God and the expectations, or sometimes in, whether it be in ministry or in general, we always want God to use someone else, not me. This person has been in church. They've grown up in church. Or, they, or they're, they're more connected. They seem more spiritual. They pray before their meals. That's our concept of what it is. But understanding past failures should not prevent you from thinking that God cannot use you. There may be limitations based upon our sins, but God can use no matter anyone he chooses to. Christian believers have the testimony of the faithfulness of saints that have trusted Jesus in numerous circumstances in the past without fully knowing the outcome, as we've talked about Abraham in the past. He's promised land, seed, blessing, as we look back in Genesis 12. And remember, he didn't know what was to occur in the future, but simply that obedience, being willingness to to serve and follow after God. And remember that there are others that God uses who are not perfect, no matter what age we're at. And that's the blessing of the word of God. God doesn't use perfect people because we would all be negated. But yet God uses those who are humble and turn to him and are obedient. And you don't have to be perfect, simply forgiven. And remember that there are others that God uses that are not perfect. And as we look at the Bible, there are numerous examples of imperfect people that God uses to glorify himself. And that's important, the key, even to understand what is the use that God uses these individuals, not to honor themselves. There are great people who have talents and abilities, but also to remember where they receive that talent and ability. We must never diminish our usability, because sometimes we say, oh, God can't use me. And there used to be that little refrigerator magnet, God... Um, can use anyone, but um, God doesn't make junk. Isn't that how it's said? And sometimes we think, oh, I can't do anything. But by being faithful, by serving, and we must never diminish our usability because we are each made in the image of God. We must remember that it's not our skills or gifts that God wants, but he wants our hearts to be sensitive to him, to obey, to be faithful to him. The next thing we look at in observation of this text is the fact that God blesses our faith. 
He can use anyone for his glory, but God also blesses our faith. We've seen that in the example of Abraham. Think about Abraham, 100 years old and has a son. He gets to actually see that son and physically touch that son. But Abraham never saw the promises of taking all the land of Israel. He never saw the fact that his offspring would become a great and mighty nation that it still exists today. Naaman, in the same way, had to place his faith in the God of the Israelites, someone who he didn't even know who it was. And it's interesting that he listened to the servant girl and her testimony of the one true God. The king of Samaria, probably Jehoram, had to trust the prophet Elisha. And here, Naaman had to trust in his servant who trusted in the prophet. Faith in Christ first is seen in salvation. Remember, as we have talked about before, it's the object of our faith that is worthy of our trust. Not simply just to have faith, but there's always an object. Firm belief in the object worthy of our trust. Jesus Christ, as we talked about in Easter, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our, our sins. And his resurrection assures us that his sacrifice was valid and accepted. And it's based upon that act, not upon how much faith we have. It's not like, oh, if we have enough faith but where it is located. And when we ask for forgiveness from our sin and place our faith in him, he is faithful and we can trust him to complete the promise of eternal life. But we don't see the culmination of that because in order to receive eternal life, we must die. And it's not necessarily many who want to say, okay, you receive faith in Christ, you're going to die now. And you know, if, Imagine if that was our evangelistic tool. It reminds me of the barber who was, who had, um, who was feeling guilty and uh, he was feeling convicted that he hadn't necessarily shared, shared the gospel of Christ. And so, you know, he would give haircuts and, and he thought, you know, people are here, you should talk to him. So the next guy comes in, he's got a big full beard and so he lathers them all up and he gets out the straight blade and, you know, is whapping against the leather and then he starts shaving him down. Got the big long straight blade and he says, um, are you ready to die? And the guy runs right out. Well, you know, obviously timing and understanding, you know, of what the words you should say. Are you ready to go to heaven right now? I, you know, most people say, no way. But to understand that, the personal relationship with Christ. And here, our faith. And it is important because we see the closest picture of our faith is also seen in biblical marriage. The involving a husband and a wife who each must come trust each other completely to be faithful to one another in love and life. There's great security in marriage. That's why in the longevity of marriage, understanding that as well. But, our, but we must never lose sight that we have permanently placed our faith in another. Sometimes our faith may waver, we may doubt, but where is the object of our faith? Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't depend upon us. And our lack of faith does not affect where we have placed our faith and consequently does not affect the security of our faith. And we see that from other scriptures, understanding that it is when it's placed in our faith in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. It's no longer dependent upon ourselves, but upon him. And so our relationship with Jesus is different from a human relationship. We're required to display our faith in Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And it is our faith that grows. He is trustworthy. And he does not become more trustworthy. What happens is our faith grows. If you have been around Camelback or some of the other hiking areas, there are certain trails that you can go. 
and you know not to step on unshaky ground or ground where there's rocks that are going to fall or ground where there's, as the rattlesnakes are coming out. You're aware of that. But you want to step on secure ground. And as you understand the trail, where you walk, you understand that it's, it's not a, oh, if I, if I stand on that unsure ground, if I have enough faith, then it'll be sure. No, it doesn't change that. It's the object of our faith. And, but it's us. Our understanding grows. And we become to a clear understanding of where our faith lies and who God is. And circumstances may change and our faith may waver at times. We must not lose sight of where our faith is and in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we understand it as a relationship. There are those people in our lives who we trust. We would trust with their lives. There's some people in our life that we wouldn't even trust to wash our clothes because, you know, they'll change them pink and they'll steal all the change out of them. But to understand who Christ is and the more daily the fact that little things and the big things, because there are events that occur in our life where we are afraid. You know, some of the relatives come out and they've been talking about scorpions. You know, and scorpions are kind of scary if you think about it. And rattlesnakes. I, I, there was even a, a ball player, football player, said, oh, I'd like to play for the Cardinals, but there's rattlesnakes everywhere. Well, you know, if there were rattlesnakes everywhere, I don't think we'd want to live here. But we understand that rattlesnakes are in certain areas. The scorpions, you know, we deal with some of the other, or the bugs that come out. But once you're, uh, you understand more about them, you're like, okay, you understand. You might still be fearful of it, but also understand uh, where your faith lies. And here it is secure in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And God blesses our faith because the more we grow, the more we understand, the more we complete those tasks of where he's been testing us, it's like, hey, we, we get confident, not in ourselves, but understanding that God is trustworthy. And Naaman, as we see here, he places his faith and trust, first of all, in the servant girl and in his, his own servant to go down and wash. And then he does that. He goes down through there. And as the last thing we see here, that God requires a heart of humility. A heart of humility. Number four, God requires a heart, a heart of humility. In verse 13 and 14, it states and says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped in the, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and all his aides, and he went back. He wanted to say thank you and return. Salvation requires a person to humbly admit their sin and understand a need for a savior, someone to correct their situation. Because if we go on in life, we can never get to heaven or have a true personal relationship with God. We must admit our sins and then turn from our sins. But here, the evidence is seen in the concern that his servants possess for their master. You know, they would not have responded this way if their servant or if their master was a cruel man. And I believe the, the relationship that he had with them, that he was probably a, a kind, moral man, but he was uh, in a position of authority, yet he listened and acted on the advice of this servant girl. 
one who had been transported from Israel and now is up in the area which would have been Syria. However, if Naaman had not listened to his servant and did not go wash in the Jordan, he would not have been healed. Elisha was the most influential, yet takes the least amount of credit. Interesting, because Elisha, he also refuses the gift. Because here we have Naaman, this great man, and if you think about it, he had quite a large bounty to give as a reward. And here in verse 15, it says, And he returned to the man of God, and he and all his aides, because it would have taken an entourage of different animals to really carry this, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. I was wondering, why didn't he take the gift? You know, Gehazi said, hey, I'll take some of that. But it's important because as we look at where Naaman was, in his understanding of who God was, it was important that he did not look at this as a way to manipulate God. Because there are many Christians who think, oh, God will give me something if I'm, if I'm obedient, if I follow this path, God will give me what I wish. It's kind of like Josh McDowell or some of those who say, God is like a vending machine. Okay, if I do everything right, push the right button, you know, oh, I want um, Coke Zero, then God will give me this, what I want, if I behave. Well, that's not how God works. God's ways are different from our ways. And sometimes it seems like we're living a life that is right, we're praying, we're reading, and then God doesn't give us the desires of what we want. We think, God, what's the deal? I'm trying to do everything right, and you're not giving it to me. God is not a God to be coerced, to manipulate but we must understand that God has a plan and purpose in our lives. Mike Dell, if I can use you just as an illustration to see how God worked, he would have never asked to have a brain tumor. He said, oh yeah, that's what I want. I want to go in, in and have a surgery on my head. But yet God used that, and God used Mike to share the gospel, to talk to many other people that he might never have met, but yet God also... Um, helped heal him of that and have surgery taken to have that. And we, we live in the age where he could have surgery. And the fact that he's out playing basketball and shooting and playing with the cousins, and what a blessing that is. But it's not like God does that for everyone. And it's not the fact that God won't necessarily do that. But God's plan is greater than ours. And sometimes we think, well, God, why won't you heal me? You healed him. Is he more spiritual? But God doesn't work that way. And that's for us to understand is that God is in control and has a plan and purpose. And when trials, when temptation, when difficulty comes into our life, it isn't just God pressing his thumb on us and saying, oh, I'm going to really turn it up. And, you know, this person has behaved in a way that he needs to turn to God. Sometimes events come into our lives that we don't necessarily realize or understand, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Think about the faith of Mike Ronning, and even as he had a VP shunt to help him with his walking. You know, there might not have been any change, but he said, you know what? God is God, and I understand that uh, he's in control and has a plan and purpose for our lives. But what it is, it is a visible reminder to others of the testimony of our faith. And that's where people who don't know, who don't have a relationship with Christ, they don't understand. They think, if I come to Christ, then everything's going to be good. It's kind of like the country song, you know, you play backwards and you get your dog back, your truck back, your girlfriend, everything back. But that's not how Christianity works. Sometimes 
challenges become more evident. Sometimes our, our life gets more difficult. But yet, there's a greater understanding of peace, our relationship with Christ, and knowing that God is in control, that he has a plan and purpose. And when you're facing the difficulties like Job, you can know that God is in control, that he is with you. When things are going well, and it seems like success at work, and a job, and in life, God is in control, and he has a plan and purpose. But it helps us to remember that what is required of us, first of all, that we're faithful, as a steward, but to have a heart of humility. And we can't equate it with wealth or possessions. And here, it's interesting to note in the text where it says, Elisha was the most influential and he doesn't take any credit, but he refuses the gift that is offered. And if we were to look at the value placed in the functional metals, at that time measured in weights, 10 talents of silver, 750 pounds of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, 150 pounds, just carrying it, you know, it would have been heavy. And then the ten changes of clothing coming. And in the Old Testament, and if we were to give a present day value of that, the current price would be, at, this was a conservative $16 an ounce and uh, 1000 an ounce for gold. It would have been, so go ahead to the next slide, Riley. You have that, $194,000, um, $194,760 in silver. 2,846,400 in gold, and so 3 million. That's just back in the, old, um, in the Old Testament time, what he had. And so understanding, even if you had that today, you know, how that would skew your perception, your bias of, wow, you know, that's actually awfully attractive, you know, just simply doing that. But he understood that that would have been. And so a present-day value, conservative 10 to 1, even if you were to add the, su the suits, I was trying to look up the change of clothing because we don't understand that. A change of clothing, you know, what good is that? But at that time, you know, the value of that, and even I was looking at, put it into modern perspective, there's only expensive suit is 892000 You know, it has the jewels. It's the true epitome if, if you understand the term bling, but uh, 892000 But a present-day value would have been over $3 billion dollars. That was back at that time, but $3 billion in today's um, economic. And so if you were to have that, you'd be like, I could last a pretty long time with that amount of money. But Elisha did not want to correlate the fact of the faith and the act of God healing him with any monetary value. And, we should, and here, it's important to understand here, as ourselves, we should never be independent of God. We must seek guidance from God and from others who are spiritually mature in everything we do. And in humility, expressing humility, that's where prayer comes into it. Prayer is a relationship with God and asking, interacting. And it seems empty because we pray to God, but no one is answering. No one talks to us. But he listens and desires that we, we talk to him. And it demonstrates our dependence upon God. We must not be concerned with what other thinks, other people think, but what God thinks. And it's a strength because it helps us to understand that we can become a woman or a man of God who is truly godly character. While we don't always understand what God is doing in our lives, it's important that the priority is directed upon God and his decisions. When things occur in our life that we don't know or are unsure of, we take it to God. Because humanly speaking, what happens is we try to work it out on our own. 
and fix the problem. But give it over to God first, and it'll alleviate so many poor consequences. And there must be a priority directed of God-directed decisions in our lives. Our actions directly reflect our heart. Friends and family, learn about the character of God when we trust him, when we pray, not in our own abilities. They learn that we can trust Christ in every circumstance, the simple things. I used to think when I was younger, why are we praying for traveling mercies? You know, but then we look at traffic. We look at the fact that the accidents, a simple task, but yet it represents that God taking control. And there are so many accidents that we probably don't know that occur, that could occur. But look at all those that, that do occur, that God protects you, even in the simple acts. And God protects us from, you know, nature and storms and, yes, scorpions and insects and bugs. But what God does is when we give that over to him, it represents a humble dependence upon God. True humility helps prevent us from sin and disobedience to God. So my challenge this morning as we look at it, understand that God works in ways that we do not always understand. The divine perspective sees the past, the present, and the future. Humanly speaking, we only see the past and the present. And in that, we don't know what the future holds or we don't even know how we will, will respond when we're placed in certain sets of circumstances. And so it's important as we live for Jesus, these are opportunities for God to be glorified in our life. And, the, and it's important because audibly tell others that you are, what you are trusting God for. Ask others to pray for specific requests or people who do not know Christ. And impart this faith to others around you. As parents, impart them to your kids and let them know what you believe. As young people, learning what it means to trust God. There's times where you're going to be afraid and fearful. But as you grow in your faith, you're going to be able to affect those friends around you and to understand to trust God and growth and to mature and understand that Christ is trustworthy. And just closing in the, in the text, Riley, move along those slides as we go to Isaiah 55 again. I just wanted you to understand that. Let your faith in God be trusted to others. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he, he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. There's none who have sinned so greatly that they cannot be forgiven. And understand that he says in Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts greater than your thoughts. Shall we pray?